economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lou Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gordon Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordon Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordon Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, my fellow graduate assistant-elect, Lawson Dunlop. This is a continuation of last week's episode. If you have not listened to that one yet, I highly suggest since we are just jumping right back into conversation in this part two. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy. To be able to at least claim those two things that were worth claiming, I said at the beginning, which is that we get mutual gains uh, from trade um, and that a laissez-faire policy generally results in overall uh, increases of wealth to the society. So I actually like both of those things, but I'm actually not super interested in preserving either of them for this conversation. What I'm interested in preserving and what I'm uh, fearful of not preserving is that if values are not uh, maybe individual as we say them, in other words, if we can find like correct values, for example, correct value might be that not heroin is better than heroin then actually you lose some of the, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like you lose some of the artifice of economic theory. In other words, economic theory, what it does is it takes people's actions as given. It says, let's assume that this person uh, did what they want to do. And based on that assumption, we are going to uh, be able to observe things about the world. Uh, And so like the prices that arise are reflections of people's actions. But if in fact people can be sort of like in a sense wrong about those actions, then you could find like real prices. You could find some sort of formula for like true heroin preference that is good and then make some price for heroin that's like departs from the real price of heroin. And I don't want to do that. Maybe your view does not actually imply that that would happen or, or could happen. But it seems to me if it's not subjective or individual maybe is a better word. Uh, that it would. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, but my claim is that they are individual and that uh, and that, that gets you all you need and that you will not be able to find like the true price of whatever heroin is or whatever, right? Um, but it seems like, as you admitted earlier, if we're giving up infallibility, um, we don't have to say that, uh, you know, tr- heroin bad or whatever, but you can say something like this person is wrong about thinking that heroin is good for them in this specific case at this specific time. But then in a sense, you you have said that there is like a more a more true price for heroin, because if this person is wrong for consuming it, then they're wrong for buying it. And if they're wrong for buying it, uh, if buying and selling decisions should be different, then prices should be different, too, in some sort of sense. I'm kind of uncomfortable with that admission. I don't think that that's exactly the case. Okay. Um, so uh, you, what you, all that I think you need is to say that most people, most of the time, act on their beliefs and desires. And okay. in fact, uh, so um, you know uh, what somebody like Rothbard or uh, Mises, or because they're right. following Kant, say, have to sure. say here yeah, is yeah. that people who uh, you know persons bodies that act in ways that don't seem rational 
they're not actually persons. They're not agents then. You're right. And, and Mises makes this point explicitly in human action when it comes to ascetics, right? He says yes. that a person who wants for nothing is not an actor. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're right. absolutely right. And the yeah. problem with making this move is that since we admit that some people, some bodies move like that occasionally, that our theory is not going to describe the way the actual world works if in our theory, the only people we quantify over um, are perfectly rational agents. Sure. So if we want to describe the way the world actually works, what we need is something like most people, most of the time, act rationally. Well, it's more or less detailed maps. I don't know if I would say like the world doesn't work in this one and the world, how the world works in this one and not in this one. It's like, no, you got like rivers on this map and no rivers on this map, maybe. But I, I agree with what you're saying in general that, yeah, you can make a more detailed map by not excluding those people. And it, my other claim is that it can lead, it can stop you from saying things that are wrong. Um, so think about like a, you know, a suicide hotline or whatever, right? The point of a suicide hotline um, isn't you don't answer the phone and go suicide hotline. Um, you Oh, you'd like to kill yourself. Um, well, uh, you know, um, <laughs> since that's your highest value, let me, uh, and, you know, I know that uh, people are infallible about uh, what's of value to them. Let me help you out. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why I I immediately disagree that values are incontestable. Like I'm, I'm totally willing to throw it out. Yeah. Cause it seems like none of us really believe that. Yeah. Uh, the no world, acts like yeah. Nobody acts like they do. Um, and so, uh, if we want to describe the way we actually act, um, we need to edit those S1 through S3 a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we can do that doing minimal mutilation to the corpus of economic thought. Um, yeah, that's the thesis. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's maybe an agreement here. I'm not totally sure, but it seems like there's something to do with the individuality rather than the subjectivity of value that you and I are at some point both at, but maybe uh, at a different space. But well, if there's any listeners still left, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I feel like we did really come around to the nutshell that I, I believe, Justin, you're claiming that the value is actually objective from a philosopher's standpoint, that that value that's in your head, in the individual mind, whatever it is. It's values in there. Yeah. It, well, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, objective, though. Our value claims are objectively true or false. What I want to say is that the the distinction objective and subjective, I don't think that's a useful distinction with regard to properties. Mm -hmm. People talk about um, the claims of physics being objective. And what they mean by that is that different people working in different spaces will come to agree on the same truths about physics. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just like a science versus, uh, you know, because in physics, we test things empirically, right? Yeah. But math is the other domain that's uh, typically seen as objective. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the truths of math are true for everybody. Um, yeah. And different people working in different, uh, different domains will come to see that the same things are true. Um, so subjectivity or objectivity, I claim, is a property of domains of discourse, where we say this domain of discourse mm -hmm has truths that are objective. And if a domain is objective, then the properties and um, and objects over which the quantifiers range in that discourse are real in yeah. a sense. Now, I do want to highlight that there a lot of economists actually are doing something different than I'm even doing, because I, Justin and I are talking about the truth of the matter, but a lot of economists actually will argue or claim that it's actually, in fact, true that rationality is not necessarily correct. Like someone like Gary Becker would say this, 
but that it's a useful assumption. So similar like in physics to how we should assume maybe that we're in a vacuum uh, to figure out, you know, how quickly things are falling, even though there's never a real vacuum in the universe necessarily. Uh, you know, that it's still a useful assumption. So most economists would go that route. I, I, I useful in, in the sense of making predictions. Yeah, making, right? making predictions. That's that, right. It's practical. Yeah. I did want to tackle this from one more side, though, Justin. One way that I that confuses me here, one way that I usually think about uh, whether something that is objective or not is I think apart from observers, would it be the same? Uh, and I, this gets into like the way weird territory with uh, different science beliefs. But my view is that like the objects would fall at the same speed, whether people were around or not. Uh, and maybe this is getting way too far in the weeds, but I don't think that's true of the valuation of goods. In fact, I have a hard time even thinking of what that means apart from observers. So is there like a meaningful difference here between gravity and the valuation of goods well, uh, based on what I said, or do you reject my premise? Or? Uh, it turns out quantum physics being as weird as it is, that there might not, not even be the case that sure. uh, if no one's looking, something doesn't fall. I, I, was, I was hoping that you weren't going to go there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, so it turns out that even domains of objectivity like physics um, uh, might have some kind of... Uh, Dependence on the okay. observer, right? But yeah. but math isn't like this. Right? Sure. Okay. So we could use a math example instead. Um, now, uh, subjectivity, I take it, has is something a little bit different, which isn't that if nobody was looking, it's that if any particular person wasn't looking. Um, so that it doesn't depend on any particular person's evaluation. Okay. Um, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay, you're, you're saying this is like social objective, which uh, still would require the social to exist, right? There are things that are socially determined that I think are still objective. Um, I think that uh, it's not, you know, I think that Joe Biden is objectively the president of the United States, right? It's not like that if it doesn't depend on what any person thinks about it, that is the case, yeah. even though that's only the case uh, because of some social yes, things. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. But Joe Biden is a good president of the United States. Falls back into the subjective round. Justin would say no, right? Yeah, uh, yeah I would say good in this case is fuzzy, uh, but it's not, uh, you know, maybe if you said uh, Joe Biden is like the most pleasantly smelling to you, Russ, president <laughs> of the United States, then I'd say I know that's your personal opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, we might disagree about whether or not there are objective criteria about how to rate a president. And then, because just because people disagree about something doesn't right. mean that it's subjective, right? right? People disagree yeah. about whether or not there's a God, uh, but the only two options are binary, right? Yeah. It's there, there either is or there isn't. And the fact that people disagree um, isn't, uh, doesn't mean that there's no real answer to that question. So I'm not totally comfortable with the, uh, the three objectives and how they're modified. So could you just review that with us, Justin? Value the mind now is being somewhat modified to, or value is in the mind is sub. I should say subjective value is in the mind. You disagree with? Yeah. Uh, and what? How should that be modified or something? Values being properties aren't anywhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. But they are individual. Okay. Uh, but they are individual. So that's where we circled back to. That's kind of the. And actually, if you look, so the way this view of subjectivity kind of came about, we have in the history of economics, you have somebody like Baum Baverk. Um, writing about the subjectivity of value, who then gets picked up by Mises. Um, and then uh, Mises, being a kind of Kantian, uh, takes the words subjective and uses Kant's interpretation of subjectivity. Um, 
But if we actually, uh, and this actually gets filtered through some of the positivists, um, and then, uh, and this gives us Rothbard's version of demonstrated preference, um, which is something like revealed preference, but it's, it is just the view that your preferences just are uh, whatever you do and, uh, and that's it. Uh, but if you actually go back to like one of Bomberg's compatriots, uh, Wieser, um, who was writing at the same time and was uh, also in the Austrian school of economics um, in the sense that they were uh, disputing the object of labor theory of value, um, his, uh, his contention is instead, of, he doesn't say subjective, he just says individual. And um, in translations, um, in an early article in like the 1900s, you have somebody translating both of these saying, like, well, these, these, these guys actually mean the same thing by these things. Sure. Um, so my contention is really that it's like 20th century uh, economists reading previous economists and then uh, reading it through a specific philosophical lens, which gives their version of subjectivity what I claim is the wrong articulation. That instead of think, thinking of subjectivity as um, something that's uh, you know, only true for me or whatever, which is what subjectivity came to mean in philosophy in the 20th century. Uh -huh. What subjectivity meant originally was just like focused on the subject, which meant it being individual, not it being uh, whatever anybody believes it to be. But that thing, that two liter of Mountain Dew has value. And then the individual is determining that value for themselves. It has more, uh, the individual values that uh, Mountain Dew more than two, at least as much as $2.50. Yeah. Right? Um, but the actual Mountain Dew has objective value. Uh, you could either say that uh, the subject objectively values the Mountain Dew at this, uh, at this rate, rate or the, the Mountain Dew has, uh, the objectively the Mountain Dew has value to the subject at this. Um, or multiple subjects, I guess, right? Well, uh, a single Mountain Dew could have a valuation from five different people. We all place different values on it. Sure, value in the sense would be something like uh, height, you know, uh, really, you know, we talk about individuals having heights, but really height is only indexed to individuals at times, right? Um, you are a certain height at a given time, uh, right? And you could have that height for longer, but really, um, since your height changes throughout your life, uh, height is indexed to people at times. Mm -hmm. And value sure. would be something like this too, even though it's true and it's objectively true that you have a given height at a given time. Um, and that can, ch that can change. Um, but um, the absolute stone cold truth has to be that values are indexed to individuals at times. And does something not have any value if nobody values it? So a Mountain Dew that's existing in the world, but it turns out it's, I don't know, toxic or something. Basically, nobody puts any sort of value on the Mountain Dew. Well, I, I think Justin, if I'm understanding his argument right, which I hope I am by now, uh, I think what Justin would say is even if a group of people assigns a, a if individuals ob objectively assign zero value to something, they could actually still be wrong about that valuation. But this brings up a, like another little weird thing, the uh, question that I have for you is that's kind of not right in a sense. Uh, and here's how, if let's say again, let's, let's use, let's say suicide, assisted suicide, people are willing to pay for assisted suicide. Maybe they're willing to pay a hundred dollars 
And in Justin's view, let's say that, and, and my view as well, assisted suicide is not a good, in fact, it's a bad. Uh, so the fact that there's a positive price for that uh, is probably like some sort of mistake on Justin's view. And probably uh, if people were correct about their own, or correct about valuations, the price would be lower because less people would demand it basically. But the weird thing is then is like, for goods and services, if there is a market price for something, you can actually sell that thing at the price. So it's actually like a matter of fact that the assisted suicide is worth $100, at least in the sense that you can sell it for $100. So even if people are wrong about, are wrong about the value of Mount Dew because maybe they shouldn't be valuing it, uh, you can actually extract that, that, that dollar value from other people by selling it. And so like in a sense, it is true, isn't it? Where, where, where am I going wrong here? Or what's, do you agree with this? I think this is conflating value and price. Oh, well, so the values can be capitalized in prices, right? And that's like the whole, uh, you know, if markets are working, the price will reflect the value of the, the values of the people or the, the evaluations of the people uh, in, in society, the individual evaluations that maybe they could be wrong about. Yeah. And if they can be wrong about that, then you can expect that prices are going to, uh, in some cases, not reflect uh, objective value. To but, individuals. But the prices are still true in the sense that you can actually get $100 from selling the thing still if the price is 100. So maybe people have come to the wrong evaluation, but it's actually a matter of fact that you can exchange that for like $100. Yeah, I don't know what it means for a price to be true. I just know that the prices just are what they are. I don't are. know what it means yeah. to have a wrong valuation, but you're back on the irrationality. Well, well no, so uh, again, if no one is supposed to do heroin, the demand for heroin be, would be lower, right? If it's wrong to do heroin, objectively, the demands for heroin should be lower, which means objectively, the price for heroin should be lower. Everything else have constant. If the price of heroin is in fact in the world $100 and it should be $0, uh, you can still sell it for $100, which means you can still get value of $100 for the thing, but even that, though what but, Justin's saying is the objective value. But that's your value that you place on heroin. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying if the whole market should value heroin at $0, every individual, if the correct value for each individual is $100, because nobody should do heroin. We should have no demand okay. for it. So you're bringing in some sort your description of, of prices earlier, which I think is correct, was that uh, they respond to people's values. Evaluations. Evaluations, individual, individual which can be wrong. Yes. But you think, right? Yes. Um, so then uh, we shouldn't expect there to be, uh, since we think that evaluations and objective value can diverge, we should also expect that prices and objective value ought to diverge in some cases. Yeah, but it, it, the weird thing is that, again, you can sell, even if the object, if, if it doesn't reflect the objective value, you can still get the wrong assigned value in money in exchange for it. And so in a sense, in the, the world where it's reflecting a value and you can actually act on that value in the world and you're saying that value is objectively wrong. No, yeah, uh, the description of value, or the description of price rests on valuations, uh, not values, right? The whole point is that uh, you know, you're not going to get this, uh, this one-to-one -one tie between objective value and price because price isn't connected to objective value, it's connected to valuations, which uh, can be incorrect. I feel like we're in a normative positive thing here. So the market reflects the actions and what you were on before, the, what, what's really going on and how people are valuing it. But then there's this normative thing that's floating completely separate of, no, we shouldn't value it that way. 
Well, if we accept the proposition that people should value things at their actual value, let's let's accept that. Let's say that we all agree uh, that uh, in, in science, for example, let's say that we should all agree that we shouldn't try to break the law of gravity. Like this seems like a pretty reasonable, uh, you know, way to bridge the is-ought distinction. Maybe people don't, don't agree on that. <laughs> I think it is what it is. So. Well, well, but but people can't break the law. Of you can't. Yeah, you, you just take well, it as it, a working. Exactly. So what Russ is saying is, well, you've got an is, but you don't have an ought. But yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is, it's actually not hard to bridge the is-at problem as long as you make some assumptions about uh, you agree to what you should do. And so what you should do is not act as if there is no gravity. And if you and I agree on that, then it is the fact that it is in fact the case that people should consider gravity as it is. And so if you accept some like presuppositions about like what you should do given certain circumstances, you actually don't have that is ought problem. It would be like saying if you want uh, people to be material well off, then you should support capitalism. That's a true statement. Uh, you know, the is is based on the capitalism. And if you assume the oughts, then you're fine. And so uh, I, we're, we're getting really in the weeds here. But what, <laughs> what I'm trying to communicate is it seems weird to I, me. Peter doesn't like the hole he's digging. It seems weird to me that you would be able to say that like the wrong people's evaluations as are reflected in prices are not the actual values of the goods. And yet people in the world can, in fact, extract that dollar amount of value from the wrong valuations. Does that make sense? Are you, are you understand what, I, what I'm saying? I think, but uh, I still don't think it's a big problem. I'm not saying it's a, yeah. it's a huge problem, but it seems weird to me. Like what other objective truths are you like people can be wrong about something objectively, but still they're able to act on those wrong beliefs and not be punished for them. I mean, I think all, almost all of our physical theories are like this too, right? Uh, we don't know which parts of our, our theories of physics are wrong, but we know that some of them must be because our general theory of relativity and our general theory of quantum mechanics don't uh, sync up with each other. And there are so, instances when you are wrong about physical laws that you pay a price for that, right? Well, if you act on them. Uh, sometimes, but uh, yeah, there are instances where you pay a price, but there are also instances where we're wrong and we don't pay a price. And those are, we, we can't know what those are sure. by definition. Um, and so- Or it works to our benefit yeah. And so uh, the idea that, um, you know, sense what the idea that uh, most of us are mostly rational most of the time gets us is something like those valuations and the true value um, can't go too far askew of each other um, without some kind of correction being made. It's, it's not the case that everybody can always be wrong about everything and that these things can go wildly out of whack. Yeah, and um, maybe a little equilibrating forces, a little bit of the process, maybe a Kersner type stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a rational, what's interesting is because Justin is uh, more willing to accept the instrumental view of rationality than I am. He tends to like have this weird agreements with like things like rational expectations in a sense that I don't, even though I say rationality is true. So like there's, there's like this weird thing going on here. <laughs> All right. So just quickly for my peace of mind, I didn't think we were going to spend that long on the number one, but value is private. You don't agree with because. Yeah. So uh, 
two and three, which two is value is private and three is the um, sense value is private. We are infallible about and, our values. Um, yeah. okay. Both of these are wrong and they can both be replaced by a single rule instead, which is instead of that we have um, uh, that value be, is private uh, and that, or that we have um, epistemic, uh, what was what the word I said earlier? Um, Asymmetry. Uh, what I want to say is that there's epistemic asymmetry, but not epistemic infallibility. Um, incontestability. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that we are uh, incontestable, but it is the case that we often know what we value. And most of the time we know mm -hmm. what we value uh, more than anybody else. Right. To us. And so I will admit that it seems like most people believe this too, because we make exceptions in cases with like children, for example. Uh, we don't believe, even though there's no real clear reason why children would also be incontestable about their values and adults would. Or the severely mentally yeah, ill. Yeah, or, or the severely mentally ill. And yet none of us really act like those values are incontestable. If my daughter doesn't want a diaper change, I still change her diaper. I, I don't say, well, I guess your values are incontestable. So, uh, so I, I agree with you there. That really doesn't seem like many people believe that. Yeah, so, uh, so my claim is that if we just stick with um, values are individual, and we stick with this uh, epistemic asymmetry rather than an epistemic direct access or epistemic uh, infallibility, that that will get us what we want while preventing us from saying things that we ought not to, which is like that the uh, severely mentally ill person, uh, I guess they know what they want, and you know, so yeah. we can't tell them what, uh, so we can't say that they're wrong. Well, I think it's kind of actually we tap in by their actions that we know something about them that's not right. The mentally ill or the child or whatever, we know that. So that's what you're saying about it. it's asymmetric. But now you've done some actions that let me know that uh, you don't know. Yeah. It's good for yourself is what maybe I do. So just it's so it's not just like mentally ill people either. There are mental predicates that we have of each other um, that even normal people, yeah, yeah. it seems like we can know. In some cases, we can know a mental property of somebody better than they can themselves. Yeah. Um, so if you know you can, if you get broken up with, you, know, you can say like, "I'm jealous." I'm not jealous. You know, yeah. The furthest thing from jealous. It was mutual. <laughs> and then there you are at 3 a.m. in their driveway. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. Uh, so you might not have thought you were jealous. You you find out that you're jealous in the same way that everybody else does by watching what you do, yeah. right? Yeah. So there are those cases where third party access um, tells us things about ourselves yeah. that. First person introspection doesn't. Yeah, or yeah. or when like you know one person breaks up with another person and, the, and during a party the friends like take his phone away so he doesn't text her right like this is another example of that yeah. where you you claim to know more than your friends about uh, your friends' values and you say no I can't contest this you wouldn't normally want to do this you're in a weird state and I'm going to stop you from or doing take it. my phone from me so I don't do it later yeah, which yeah. is literally tying yourself to the mast in the Odysseus sense. Uh, maybe, I don't think I want to give that to you. I, 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 because, because that would imply that like all constitutions are attempts to deal with irrationality. And I don't want to call hyperbolic preferences all irrational. That that seems wrong to me, that every time you can't force yourself to do something in the future, you're at, it's because you're acting rationally. No, I think just you have different costs at different times. And so it actually is rational. So you're okay with... Uh... The friend hey, taking the phone away, but not. <laughs> I'm saying. I, 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 oh, I, I'm okay with it being contestable, but what I'm not okay with is saying that in any case where you have to bind yourself to the mast, it's because you're going to behave irrationally. I'm not willing to say that. I think like preferences can actually be, uh, you know, severely different depending on a particular 
time and place. And that would not be irrationality. And I don't want to concede that uh, to someone because uh, then it's really easy to say, well, this is all just irrationality. Uh, if you can't, every time you don't have self-control, you're irrational. When economists hear this, we pull our hair out. It's like, no, uh, the lack of self-control does not prove someone's acting irrationally. Uh, it just proves that like costs change throughout time or something like that. So I don't want to give up that grounds to it's all irrationality, but I am willing to admit cont contestability. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that looks like a good spot to bring this to a rest. Uh, we've gone on for quite a ways and uh, that'll that'll be a wrap. So this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five star rating helps other people find us. Uh, please forward our podcast on to your friends and family that you think might enjoy it. Other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks. <laughs>